I'm, I'm not the helicopter parent. I like to think of myself as like the, this is not an appropriate analogy, but like the sniper parent where I'm in the bushes in the ghillie suit. I can see them. Hopefully they don't know I can see them. So they're learning some independence and some ability to do things on their own. But I, I you know, I worry about them. So, um, you know, for both parents and kids, it's about having the bravery and courage to sort of get through either the illness or the injury in which they have. That's Darius Monsef, and he is the serial entrepreneur, serial nonprofit founder, actually started a farm in Hawaii as well. Uh, Very interesting guy, and he actually has a real-life Lightning McQueen Corvette that he drives around and visits kids that are with the Make-A-Wish Foundation, so to children's hospitals, sick kids. He's now the CEO of Brave Care, which is an urgent care for pediatrics. So let's jump right into the interview with Darius. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening. So today we have Darius Monsef, um, but most of his friends would call him Bubs. Um, he is he was a co-founder of Color Lovers, um, also co-founder, I believe, of Creative Market, and now is the CEO of Brave Care. Um, but Darius has a really interesting background um, having founded multiple companies, um, so has quite a lot of experience and and wisdom to share there. He's a father of three kids, seven, four, and two, um, and it's even started a farm in Hawaii. So, so thanks for coming on the show, Darius. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So, um, so tell me about tell me about this farm. I actually I want to start there because I followed you on Instagram. And you, you, it was like Farmer Darius, and it was like on the farm, you know, farming with bubs. And I, I love those yeah. updates, and I wanted to hear yeah. kind of the background of that. Yeah, it's an ongoing joke with my wife and I that she's kind of been able to have multiple husbands in the nine years we've been together. Um, because when we first got together, I was just trying to make all my startup stuff work. Uh, she paid the bills. I made her breakfast every day before she went to work because I had to be at home and was trying to build my internet things. Um, that graduated to kind of going through Y Combinator and having a bit more traction with the company and raising seed rounds and then being this uh, tech founder able to sell the company. So now I'm at a bigger company trying to be a professional worker guy and all the different wardrobes and things and struggles that go along with each of those chapters. And then ultimately, we moved back to Hawaii, where my wife and I were from, and I spent basically a year dedicated to just sort of like farming and ranching, um, you know, really got some some wear and tear on my internet computer hands. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, it's so we can dive into it there, is that at the end of that year, really living a dream life, and I think that's what gets communicated most on Instagram, is only the highlights. I actually was pretty depressed at the end of that and mm. had a breakdown and you know, it's hard to like, I, I understand all the ways in which I'm happy. I just don't feel happy. Um, so we went through an exercise of trying to understand maybe where that was coming from. And I think where we got was that I still had more like gas in the tank to do and build and make things and create. And Hawaii is an amazing place. It's where my wife and I are from. It's so culturally rich. Um, it's an incredible environment. It just, isn't the best environment for doing all those things. The peer group isn't there, the access to resources, fighting with terrible internet access. Uh, Just really felt like I wanted to do this more and so therefore I think we wanna move back to the West Coast. My 
family's from Portland, so that really was the city we wanted to go to. I didn't feel good about going back to the Bay Area. We really wanted to give our kids a, a normal <laughs> quality of life. Um, and so we ended up in, in Portland, and I really give my wife a, a bunch of credit and appreciation for basically having the conversation with me where I go, hey, so I think you and the kids are living your perfect lives. I'm not. I'd kind of like us to move, but obviously if all we're doing is trading happinesses, I'm all right to just go back to Hawaii and I'll suck it up and make something work. Mm -hmm. um, but she created the opportunity for us to do that. And then most importantly, she's actually really happy here in Portland and has fully acclimated to the weather because anytime it's a north of 50 degrees, I get a photo of her sunning in the backyard and is outside. It's like, all right, that's, that's cold, but you're clearly at Portland <laughs> now. So she's that's done great. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Uh, so yeah, the farm thing was... Every place that we've lived, I, I started a garden. I like the idea of growing our own food. Um, my, I grew up with a ton of privilege in life. My kids are going to grow up with a ton of privilege. I want them to have the opportunities where I can create them to just be a little bit more connected to how the world actually works. Where does your food come from? We've always raised chickens. We have cattle. We still have the herd in Hawaii. Um, you know, it, if you're going to eat meat, you should know where it comes from. Um, so in, in a bunch of ways, we're trying to create those opportunities for them to be more normal and not be surrounded by all the privilege that they have. And is that something that your parents instilled in you or is it you didn't have that and you kind of got it and then you're saying, I don't want to repeat this with my kids or explain that a little bit? I think I had a really nice mix of like the because of the duality of my parents, my father, uh, immigrant, Middle Eastern, successful person. Uh, very vain and egotistical, like, because I'm a monsef, I'm therefore better than most people. Like, that's just been communicated to me my whole life that we are something better and therefore we're going to go out and do these things and be successful. Um, and then my mom is a Montessori school educator, uh, very compassionate, empathetic woman. And I got to grow up with both of those. And I think that's why I've been successful in some things like the nonprofit that I helped co-found was that it didn't come just from a place of wanting to do good in the world because sometimes people that kind of operate in that way find one little specific area where they do a lot of meaningful work. But I came with the balance of the like, no, I want how big can get this get? How much good can we do on the biggest scale possible? So I think all along I've had the mix of those things and building things in ways that gave back. Um, and, you know, continuing to have the opportunities to give my kids a really high quality of life, I, I don't want them to be unaware of all of the other struggle that other people have. Um, and that's hard because I do it all. I, like I can be in a store and I see something that my kid, I know she's going to like this little $4 thing and I could buy it for her, but I don't need to do that every time I see it. And I don't want her to think that like $4 is nothing and that just that, you know, we can get everything that we want. So... Uh, that's definitely something I, I'm, I'm conscious of. I have no further developed plan of how I'm going to execute that. I mean, that's generally, I, that can be the entire summary of my parenting is I have no general plan for what I'm doing, um, trying to just do the best job that I can and be thoughtful and conscious of what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I think you wouldn't be alone in, in saying that. You know, a lot of guys saying that, you know, I don't have a plan, a big plan. Because the, the interesting thing is you talked about how you you approach the business problems or the nonprofit problems and you do put a plan in place to say how do we maximize this 
So mm-hmm. I would I would argue probably are putting in some plans in place. But the the rub I think that I found in 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 fathers that are entrepreneurs is that you have like when you engage in your business, you can have all these plans and all these action items and you know these growth plans. And then it's like in the world of fatherhood, it's like you can't really have a plan. You kind of got to roll with the punches. So how do you make those two things work if you're so geared towards growth and plans and everything in the business world? So I think the other side of that too is, I mean, I would I would say that I don't know if I'm a great one-on-one father in terms of engagement. Like I'm conscious of that. It, it's hard for me. Like my brain is so wired to do a hundred things at once that when I have dad duties and I'm just there one on one, it's that's exhausting for my brain, which normally wants to do a bunch of things at once. So to focus completely on this little kid on whatever we're doing is difficult for me. Um, and I'm not nearly anywhere on the level of my wife of that when we spend one on one time or when she's at home with the kids, she's like doing activities. She's like creating things for the kids and. Like, I'm going to want to, like, let's go for a walk. Like, I got to do these things that, like, feel like we're moving uh, in order to occupy that time. And I don't, I know that time's not hurting them. I'm aware of the fact that I could do better, which is painful for me to sort of live in. Um, But I just try and, on the other side of that, be the most loving and thoughtful um, and caring and supportive person I can be. It's like, I recognize my shortfalls, and I'm just trying to give as much as I possibly give in the other areas that I can. Yeah. Do you think though, that that is a little bit of a, a yin and a yang with your wife's role and your role? You know, that's not necessarily a, a father a mother thing as much as one might be more engaged in those one-on-one activities. The other one's more like, let's do these things together or let's go have a different kind of interaction. Um, I think by somewhat of just the nature of who we are, yes. My wife is an early childhood educator. She's a speech-language pathologist, works early intervention and language delays with kids. So she's clearly great at the early years and helping kids find their voice and pulling the words and things out of them. So that's her skill set. And we're fortunate enough that she, A, wants to be at home in these early years as a primary caregiver for our kids, um, too. And then we have the luxury of being able to do that. So... Yeah, it's, it's definitely the, it comes from those things. Um, but like I, we read a number of these kind of uh, biographies or for kids, so the stories are simplified. But one of them that comes up very often for me internally is like Barack Obama's mom who got up at 6 a.m. to teach him for an hour before he go, went to school every day. I could do that. I'm choosing to sleep. Um <laughs> And again, some of that comes from like the privilege that my kids are just going to be okay. Like I, I'm not worried about them. Like crap, like I have to get up if I'm going to give you an equal foot in life. I get to sleep instead of doing that. Um, but I think in every other way, like what could I be doing for my kid right now that actually pushes them further in the ways in which they want to go in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, and then similarly, I, a lot, I spent a lot of time in terms of the internal dad struggles around Um, My oldest daughter has my wife's athletic abilities, and she's just so coordinated and strong physically, which is, I'll I'll take a side story here, because it's (laughs) interesting for me. She is awful at riding a bike, and maybe someday when she actually hears this, she'll be better at it, and she'll appreciate the story. But, like, it's it's so difficult for me to try and take her for a bike ride. She is so afraid of like the potential crash or fall that she was unwilling to then get speed. And so it's like a pedal, pedal, oh, put the feet down. Pedal, pedal, oh, 
It's like, well, you can't ride a bike that way. And if I try and push her, it just drives down a fear cycle, anger thing. So every time I go, it's like this ultimate, uh, I'm carrying the bike back on my shoulder. I'm mad. She's a hundred feet behind me. She's pissed. She's crying. It's like, and, it, and I walk away from that going like, man, my, my daughter just doesn't have confidence. She's not coordinated. She's not strong. And we had done that. And then literally the next day, we took her to her first ballet class here in Portland. So new studio, like a legit studio compared to what we had in Hawaii. 30 other girls, new teacher. She just goes straight to the front of the class. She wants the front position. She carries herself so confidently and strong. And she's so coordinated. It's like a constant, all, literally opposite of all the things she has on the bike. So the one thing for me is dad's like, all right, I'm just really glad that I've, I've been able to find the things in which I can see her true potential. Because if all I did was give her opportunities to like ride a bike or something, I'm going to feel like, oh, she's not capable of doing these things. But for her, it's music, dance, theater. We once read a book where uh, somebody got stage fright. And she was like, what is that? <laughs> Why would somebody be afraid? It's like, oh, well, you just don't have that. Um, so, you know, the driving towards what their potential is, is something I constantly think about with her because in dance and music, she has such great raw material that I want to push her as far as she can go. I don't mm -hmm. just need to be a prima ballerina. She doesn't need to be a professional stage actor. She doesn't need to be a pop singer someday, but if she has the raw potential where if she continues to be passionate about that, she could achieve it then I feel some sense of duty to give her every opportunity to get there. My wife and I often disagree on that. She was a competitive gymnast when she was a kid and kind of got burnt out on all the pressure to you know, achieve something great. I don't particularly care that they get a, a medal someday or whatever the stamp, on, stamp is on the end of the achievement. It's just if they have that potential, I, I want them to see if they can get there. And so that constant balance of, you know, how hard do you push a kid? When do you give them room to just be a kid and not have a schedule? And, you know, kind of a, a lot of that is something I don't know the answer to. Yeah, I think that's that is a super interesting topic because I think there's a there's a finite time of like zero to like eight where kids are developing so much. And so yeah. you can push them and prod them in ways that could be really unhealthy. And you could create things that are you can't easily undo later, you know, like like if you if you really harp on them, to, if they're not like geared towards math or something, you're like always harping on them, always harp on them. Then they hate yep. math, even if they could yep. have been good at it. You know, like, yep. I think that's super interesting. Yeah, you just said that and I got terrified. Oh, man, <laughs> what am I doing to them now that's going to shape their future in a bad way? But it's a balance. Uh, it's like either you go the – you, know, you kind of got to be somewhere in the middle because – I, I was going to ask you what what in your past did you have anything like your wife's experience with competitive um, you said gymnastics yep. that you know maybe you maybe you didn't push yourself hard enough and you wish you would have you know typically you carry those things into your kids you know yeah we're the exactly executing on the experiences we had she pushes back I'm like don't take him to class every day give him a childhood and I'm going. I am generally good at most things. I never got the chance to be great at any of them because I never had support to go deep in any one of them. So I'm the seventh kid of my dad, the fourth of my mom and my dad together, but I'm the youngest of all seven. So, you know, by the time you get to seven or four, there's just less time and energy going into that kid, which I do appreciate from my sort of now entrepreneurial path because I was really at a young age like, well, go figure yourself out. If you want something, do it for yourself. But in terms of, of 
being taken to every camp or being on every team, like I was signing myself up for those things. I, I had to push to get on the team and then argue for whatever I wanted instead of having the time and attention for somebody to be like, I see you have potential here and I'm going to sign you up for things that you sometimes might not want to go and do, but you're going to get pushed through it because maybe the parent has some higher level of exposure to seeing what's happening. Um, so yeah, I, I missed out on that and I'm trying to give it to my kids. My wife had too much of that and then is trying to prevent our kids from having it. So, you know, they somewhat end up in the middle. Yeah. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about, um, brave care and what you guys are doing there. Cause it's, it's a pediatric urgent care. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, so the backstory of how I ended up here is I've been able to build a couple consumer tech companies and, and did well at those. Um, but I've also co-founded an international disaster relief nonprofit that sets up and runs volunteer centers in disaster areas. It's one of those things where like, you know, I have the, both the idea to want to build things, but then to do it in a way that gives back or actually adds real value to the world. And that it's, continues for me. And then when I was back in Hawaii and probably some point relevant for this is ended up making a replica lightning McQueen car that I do a bunch of kids charity stuff with. And yeah. I did that because I had seen a story about a guy in Florida that had a Lamborghini and a Batman costume and went to all the children's hospitals. And I was just like, that's freaking cool. Like, <laughs> I wish I could do something like that. And in Hawaii, I don't have any children's hospitals on my island, but also like the Batman was not the right age group for my kids. I've seen mm-hmm. the Cars movies a million times. It's like, oh, that'd be really cool to, to do this with a Lightning McQueen. So because of that, I got you know closer to the Make-A-Wish Foundation and it's like the heaviest thing I can process. And I mm. often find moments where I, it's just like the the back of a thought of like, what would it be like if I lost one of my kids or that they were that ill? And I like, I really can't hold that thought for very long. It's mm-hmm. like the sickest, illest thing. So to imagine families that have been going through that for years is like mind blowing to me. I can't even process it. So I, it's just like more and more I want to do things with this like kids and their health and families that are going through that. And when we were here in Portland, my son launched himself off a ramp at a bike park and landed on his face. And so like he's got blood everywhere. And I was lucky that this pediatric urgent care clinic was nearby. And that's our first emergency experience with our kids. So I had some level of fear and in discomfort, but I, it's like, I know stitches are coming. Most boys have the under the chin stitch line. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, this is really cool. This is a pediatric-focused urgent care. What I was worth the ER and how long am I going to be there? The last time I spent the night in an ER in San Francisco, it was like awful experience. So do I want to take my four-year-old son to that? No. Um, so I went to this clinic. It was a great experience. I went home. Uh, the next weekend, my one-year-old had croup, and then what I found out, Strider. So just not able to breathe, and she's getting yeah. lethargic. She's not getting oxygen. My wife was out of town both weekends that I had these two <laughs> issues, too, so – not scoring dad points. Um, but that clinic was a kind of inconvenient to where I live, but I thought, you know, that's the environment I want to go back to. It's comfortable and, and they'll know. And so we went to the clinic and got really great care. And there's a couple other things I, I saw value from that experience that seeded what we're doing now. But the end of that visit, which was much more emotional for me because I didn't know what was happening. Like, is this Basically, I knew something was serious because even the way the Dr. Fish, who's now my co-founder, Corey, looked at her was very different than how he looked at my son. It was like, this one's serious. Mm -hmm. So it was serious to me and the unknowing was very scary. And in my emotional state, I sort of asked him at the end of that visit of, 
like this is a really great facility. I, this could be a weird question for you because it could be competitors, but like, are what are the other clinics like this that are closer to where I live in Portland? It's like there aren't. That's why I created this place, and I want to open more of them. It's like, like the, we got to do that. So I had asked him for his phone number because he was sending me home with my daughter Sachi, like on the cusp of being in a bad place. She was taking the treatment, but it's like, look. You got to look at her belly tonight and see if I'm like, I don't know what that, like, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to be responsible for knowing what that looks like. So can I just text you a photo tonight if I'm concerned and you can let me know? And so because I had his phone number coming away from that was like, wow, I love kids. I'd rather hang out with two to five year olds. I'm the dad that goes to a birthday party and all the other parents, I think, think that I'm like not nice or kind of a jerk because I don't, I would rather be with the kids. Like, I'm going to yeah. go play. You all talk about whatever you're talking about. I'm with the kids. That's my style at the parties, too. <laughs> yeah, this is where I get value. Um, and so it's like, I love kids. I've built things before around things that I liked, but that's very different than what I truly love. And it, for at least the next 11 years, 15 years, I'm going to, like, my primary, most important thing is having kids at home and, and taking care of kids. So, to be able to find an opportunity to build something in the consumer tech digital product space around kids was what I knew I wanted to do. And so after a few meetings with Corey, it became clear that he wants to open more clinics. These clinics really are important for people to have as options that we should do that together. I'll run the business side. He provides the care. And then we brought on Asa, another uh, founder who, who's able to build all of our digital products so that, the, you know, this team and then Miriam is also a friend who's joining. Like the four of us really care about kids, have kids and want to build a better care experience for them in situations where the alternative is really going to an ER, which is very expensive. Um, it's a longer, worse experience that urgent cares are better for 75% of those situations, then what you need to have is pediatric urgent cares all over the country mm -hmm. and or in places where the density of kids won't ever justify having a physical clinic. What can we do with telemedicine to extend a lot of the reach of the value of the staff in clinics to people in more rural areas so that for the minor kid things, common kid things, which are minor pink eye or ear infections, things that keep kids out of school or should keep kids out of school, um, could be treated remotely, uh, which, you know, lets kids get back into school and parents take less time off for work. And recently I just sort of what I tweeted about it today was just, again, I see the world from a certain way and I just know like, Oh, that, that experience was really great. Um, I appreciated it. It was good for my kid. The cost was less, but I was able to afford it. So it didn't particularly matter to me. But learning more and more about like how fragile most families' financial positions are, where a large unexpected expense can really cause damage to them. But then you combine that with the idea that parents won't take time off with work, of work to, to be with their kid at home or to take them to the you know to care because then they risk losing their job or not getting the income in which they need. So the sick kids go to school, which just potentially gets more kids sick, whose then families are at risk. Um, or then when the parent is able to take that person, it's in the night, evening hours after work. And if you don't live where there's an after hours urgent care, any urgent care would be better than going to the ER. Pediatric mm -hmm. urgent care is even better. That the you know parents, low-income parents, uh, are five times more likely to take their kid to an emergency room 
and then experience thousands or multiple thousands of dollars of costs, which are going to put yeah. them in such an awful position. So it's this unfortunate cyclical thing for them. And so it's like, not only do I just think this is very obvious in the value that we can provide for families, there is all this other secondary layers of like preventing financial collapse of families. And then the ethos of the brave care idea is that you learn the most if you're doing something that's challenging. So if you're doing something easy, then you've clearly mastered that thing or that's easy. But riding the bike the first time, climbing up the thing you're not confident in, like getting the courage to do those things, kids need to be brave to do it, but they're also gonna likely fall and hurt themselves or do something along the way where they need to learn that lesson of getting back up and having the bravery and courage to do it again. And then it's also directly at the parents as well because you don't let them climb the thing or ride the thing in a way that they get hurt. Like we're, I have it too. I'm, I'm not the helicopter parent. I like to think of myself as like the, this is not an appropriate analogy, but like the sniper parent where I'm in the bushes in a ghillie suit. I can see them. Hopefully they don't know I can see them. So they're learning some independence and some ability to do things on their own. But I, I, you know, I worry about them. So um, you know, for both parents and kids, it's about having the bravery and courage to sort of get through either the illness or the injury in which they have. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched about what we're doing. It's, you know, product founder fit is deep and I believe there's also the market fit. So it's like the Holy Trinity for me. Yeah. That, that sounds really cool. So you're, um, the, the guy that was running the clinic that, does he have kids too? He doesn't. Okay. Uh, he he and his wife have sort of committed both of their careers and lives to healthcare. Yeah. And then for Corey, it's about taking care of everybody else's kids, yeah. um, which I appreciate because he's taking care of three of mine now. So, right. you know, I appreciate that. So yeah. um, I think that's a, that's a really cool business idea. I'm really excited to, um, you know, follow along on that journey because it sounds like you're just getting started. Um, I, one thing I do want to hit on before we end is, um, you know, you you had several startups while you were having kids, you know, right? Is that correct? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you were having yep. kids as you were kind of going through that journey. And now you you have a seven-year-old and then you're starting kind of another another run at this. You obviously are coming into that with a lot of wisdom from, you know, trial and error in a lot of ways and, and especially how to balance the, 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 the home life and the, the startup life. Can you share a little bit of nuggets that things that you know feel like you know now that you would tell yourself back – you know, when you first started to have kids, um, and, and how to do that better. Cause I think people just, you know, some dads just don't know. And then they end up sacrificing, you know, their kids on the altar success and that's not good for anybody. Yeah. I mean, one, it's definitely survivor bias. So whatever advice yeah. I give is like simply because it worked for me in some way. Um, I am 100% uh, aware that my success was largely driven from luck because I've seen my friends work just as hard as me and not achieve success. So a huge amount of luck there. And then somewhat it's, yeah, I could go back in time and tell myself things, but it's also just like things I continually to tell myself uh, that maybe have not fully sunk in, or maybe it's just useful for dads to hear. So one of them is I, I love my kids. You can look at all my social and it's all my kids. Um, but I actually don't really connect with them very much in the first year of their life. Mm-hmm. And I think some people feel like, oh, that's a bad thing or like I'm supposed to really connect. And I love them deeply and they're my children. But they're like as soon as the after one and I'm actually getting to start to do in, interactions with them is, is much more when I connect. So for another dad that's feeling like, I don't know, is this wrong that I'm not like deeply connected to this thing yet? Then no. I mean, obviously you love it and be a 
be around and be supportive. But, um, you know, for me, I didn't, I don't deeply connect as much as I do after the like, you know, one and a half age range. Um, the other thing for, I still do this. I'm aware of that. Like I would say most of the difficulty in a marriage with kids comes from one person just wanting to get recognition uh, or appreciation, but the other person receiving that is like, well, if I do that, then I'm not getting recognition, appreciation for me. So exactly where it will manifest for us is like my wife coming downstairs. It's a whole topic we can talk about. We sleep in separate rooms is for her to go like, man, I'm so tired because Sachi was awful last night. And like my default is to go like, well, I, I'm tired. It's like, <laughs> I didn't need to do that. But I just want to recognize, like, there's somehow like, well, if I recognize she's tired, then I can't also be tired. And it's just that doesn't need to happen. It's like it's not a competition yeah. for who's the more exhausted parent. Uh, oh, man, I changed so many diapers yesterday. Instead of going like, wow, that, I mean, I appreciate that you do that. It's like, well, I, I change a lot, too. Yeah. Like, I, that constant thing happens. I don't know. That um, never happens in my household ever. No, no, no. <laughs> right? It's solely yeah. for us. Only like once um, a week, maybe once a day. Okay, every couple hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's like, yeah, that's still happening for us. And then the other thing which I just mentioned about even like our sleeping arrangement early on for us when we were like uh, when Wileo was one and we moved back to San Francisco, like I'm raising money. I'm trying to do the business like it was really hard. Um, it never made sense for me that why both of us shouldn't sleep at night. It's like, look, somebody's going to lose sleep and that sucks. So I'm going to go sleep in like on the couch or in the living room because I actually need we just one of us should get sleep right. and I'll alternate with you if we need to. But for both of us not to sleep doesn't make sense. And then like seven years later, we're still just sleeping in separate rooms because one every few years they've just added a kid to that mix. And then I went back out of the room again. Um, but over time, we've just sort of recognized that sleep for us is really optimizing for sleep. Mm -hmm. And. I, she would say I snore, I jiggle my feet, um, I sleep at a different temperature. There's like all these things that we just sleep so differently. It's like, well, we should just sleep in separate beds. Yeah. And it's just to the point of like, really, we should be in separate rooms because we're just up at different hours. And we have a very loving, affectionate, uh, life, good life in many areas that one can interpret of things that happen in the bedroom. <laughs> But we just we just in separate rooms, and I've mentioned that we, we, uh, to other families, and it's interesting when one of the spouses kind of lights up with like that could be great, and the other person is like, I can't believe you just said that. This cannot happen. Like you know, some people don't sleep well unless you know their partner or spouse is next to them. So, but it's for us. it's you guys communicating about that, right? You know, you're like, hey, let's talk about this, and this works right for us. You know, it's that that's why I think is important. Because like, yeah, so like, go ahead. Yeah, no, we've always been good about being able to communicate. We have, you know, different communication styles as everybody does. Um, but we we can argue or disagree, but we never yell at each other. There's no name calling. There's no swearing. I mean, those things are hard to recover from. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like this person is the most important person in my world. Why would I want to say something to her that would actually hurt her? Mm -hmm. Um so, uh, you know, I come from some logical place for that. But, you know, sometimes it's I can be upset about something enough that I just like I need to actually just walk away from this because I need to go process this and come back. It's the other thing people uh, tell married people like never go to bed angry. Uh, my advice is you should go to bed angry because <laughs> likely you're mad about something that's pretty trivial um, that you're not even going to remember in the morning Two, 
nobody's really, really good at communicating. And then equally few people are good at receiving critical feedback or communicating. So you're most likely going to end up both going to bed angry or spiraling into something that's way more than it was. So like go to bed. If you're still upset about it in the morning, then take the time to figure out language that you can use to actually bring up your concern or issue in a way that isn't insulting to the other person. Right, right. Yeah, don't don't bury things, you know, I guess is what they're probably trying to say, right? <laughs> it's like, don't just push it. Because I feel like that for me, I'm more one to just bury it. My wife always wants to talk about it. And I think I always get myself in trouble if I don't, if we don't have a communication about what the real issue was, you know. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that we try to do, and I don't know if you guys do this too, is like, if we do get into an argument, especially if the kids are around, like making sure we make up in front of the kids too. You know, like that they don't see that we're just fighting and then they don't see any resolution as a result yeah. of it. We don't yell at each other or anything like that. But if we are having a disagreement, it's like, okay, we got to model that this is how you work it out. Because I'll, I'll be honest, I, my, I don't think my parents did that really well. So if I ever yeah. saw them bickering, like you never saw kind of any resolution. So it's never modeled, like how do you actually resolve this conflict, right? You know, yeah. and that was really detrimental, I think, personally for me, which is really hard. I'm definitely the bottler as well, because like even as I mentioned earlier, the sort of that breakdown I was having at the end of last year, I think what's a challenge around depression is that we think of it as like, and it is, you know, and for a lot of people, it can be a systemic like illness that goes over a long period of time. But sometimes it's just like if you go to the gym and you exercise your muscles hard, you're going to have to have recovery time for your muscles. If you are challenging and pushing yourself in some emotional way, likely you're going to need recovery time of that. And so for me, that depression is often like some kind of recovery time. And because I was running a company and always it's wearing a face that all is okay and bearing the struggles. And I don't even particularly want to share those struggles with my wife because, you know, those are difficult things. All I'm going to do is extend my pain and fear and anxiety onto her. There's not really anything she can do to fix it. So all I'm doing is hurting her along with myself. Like I'll just bear this burden personally. Um, so the years of that, I think just build up. And then with my entrepreneurial brain, if I'm sad or depressed, it's like the problem solver Mm. spins up and there's nothing to solve. Sometimes it's just like to kind of process the emotion and let the muscles recovery and the emotion to flow out. And so the thing that happens for me is like, Oh, I'm, I'm sad, depressed. So I'm spinning up all the mental processes to solve this problem. And there's nothing to solve. So it's like chainsawing water. I'm just burning this engine until eventually it just burns out. And there's just sort of like a release. But I haven't really resolved anything. And sometimes all I do is I just shoved it further down where someday these pains will be uncovered. Um, But yeah, kind of just going through that process was letting it, it happen and trying to shelter the other people in my life. I didn't need to burden with it. Um, The other thing that you mentioned is interesting because I ended up in a weird path of that topic was, you know, the, the ways in which kids have models in their life that doesn't necessarily guarantee that they learn and then they repeat those models. Mm-hmm. My mom, um, her parents, my grandparents, we're the perfect model couple. They like, we're deeply in love. My 
I didn't see it because I was too young. But like my mom would say, you know, my grandfather would goose my grandma in the kitchen 40 years. You know, it's like they just were in love their whole time. And they showed my mom and my aunt and uncle like what that great marriage could look like. None of them for that generation ended up with a marriage like that. Um, so they had the perfect model, didn't end up that way. My mom and my dad were actually both married before they met each other. They were married for long enough to have all four of us, but never had a great relationship or a marriage. But I feel like I've ended up with my grandparents one mm. without having seen that. It's like sometimes I think it's about, you know, not worrying that if you didn't get a model that therefore you can't have it. It's just trying to work towards what you most want. Mm -hmm. and, and finding the support group and the other people that, you know, can guide you on that. Yeah. Maybe that's why you have this podcast, which I appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> it is exactly why I have this podcast <laughs> yeah. is how can we Good. glean wisdom from one another? <laughs> cause, yeah. cause I don't know what I'm doing, you know? So yeah. The other thing, you know, the, what I appreciate about the podcast and, and ways for let, letting people tell their story and for other people that sometimes just hear either echoed back that some of the things I think are there and I'm not crazy for thinking them or just the fact that other people struggle. Cause again, if you look just at my social media feed, you think all's perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I wish there was better ways for me to share some of the things that were a struggle, but I don't particularly want to live in those moments longer than they need to either. But, uh, what can happen is people feel like, you know, and going back to brave care, why we have that, that, Parents feel bad every time they come into urgent care with like a, like a hurt kid, like as if they did something wrong. Like kids will get hurt. It's okay. But nobody shows the like painful things on social media. Mm -hmm. And so the parents feel bad about normal parenting things. Um, so just getting to hear that other people struggle, I think, is important. Um, the other side of that, too, is having real people share advice to other people that want to hear it. Like I parodied a, you know, morning productivity hack video <laughs> recently because the one that I was parodying was just not landing on a lot of people. It's like if you're a single high net worth person, you can do whatever you want with the first hour of your day. I don't control the first hour of my day. I have a bunch of other people that control it. Yeah. Um, so like trying to give advice, like I almost feel in some ways you could have like some things end up where you have this podcast and you ask somebody who's never been a parent, doesn't have kids to be on it. Yeah. Like, I guess that could be interesting just to hear what somebody's perspectives are. But if the whole point is for that person to like be giving advice on how parents should parent, it's like, I appreciate where you're coming from. You should wait a little bit. Just write those all down and then come back to me. Cause I have a ton of things I said I'd never do as a parent and my kids get screen time. Sometimes I give them sweets. Like it just happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. How, how have you found that, um, kind of related to that, how have you found kind of a network of other parents that are in the similar stage as you to help you um, be a better parent? And the reason where this is coming from is I feel like there's a tendency amongst parents to just kind of lament in negativity. Like the common thing that really ticks me off is someone says, that you say you're at the playground with your seven-year-old, your four-year-old, and two-year-old. Say, yeah, we'll wait till they're teenagers. Then they're really gonna yeah. suck. It's like that's like someone that doesn't change the oil in their car and says, "Wait till the engine goes out." It's like, so, so I, I agree. I mean, I, I've never had teenagers, so I don't know what that's like. And I'm sure there's all these other struggles that are emotional and not as physical, like I, we have now, just keeping them fed and you know everything. Yeah. But at the same time, that seems like crap to me to just have this like negative attitude of like. 
let's instead see how we can do better, you know? And I'm not mm-hmm. saying we need to put on this Instagram face that everything is perfect. And I, I, I hear what you're saying um, of sharing stories about how everything's not perfect. But I think one of the things I struggle with sometimes is how do you get that network of people around you? And that's partly, that's why I started this podcast was like, yeah. how do you have honest conversations, but say, this is where it's at and this is what I'm trying and maybe this is what worked, this is what didn't work. Um, in the in the real world, I feel like sometimes that's hard because there's a there's a comfort in negativity, right? You know, there's it's a natural for most people. It's a natural like just kind of sit around and complain. You know, it's mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't particularly enjoy doing that, nor spending time around people that only complain. It's fine if there's a complaint because it's like I need to share this mm-hmm. and then move on from it. But there's just some people that just constantly live in a place of negativity, which I'm not cool with. I mean, some of that too, like the honest side of it is somebody who says, oh, wait till their teens is going to suck. It's like, it sucks a lot right now. Like, <laughs> it's not all great. It's like my wife and I, like, we just talk sometimes about we have, you know, we have the luxury of her being at home with the kids. We have the ability to get a babysitter for her often so that she can have some sanity and have some time for her. We're very thoughtful about like we every Wednesday night we have a dinner date where my mom comes over and babysits and every Sunday we have a lunch time like or just time together mm-hmm. like we spent we make time for ourselves and we have the ability to do all that and we're still exhausted mm-hmm. on most days like it's not easy for us so to, for the single parent who's working and doing all that like I just can't imagine how they make it through I have no idea um, that just blows I, it just doesn't compute in my head yeah, I, I mean, I don't understand. I literally can't. It's difficult for me now in everything that I have. So I, I wouldn't maybe not be successful with that. Um, and then what's interesting for me about surrounding myself. So however it happened for me where like, I genuinely do love and adore my wife. And I'm public about that. One time I met somebody and we visit us like a social gathering thing. And he's like, wait, I think I know you. You're the guy who like really loves his wife. Right. <laughs> and I was like, yes. And I 100% want that to be my description. Mm-hmm. Like if that's how I've known that I'm doing something that's right. And I've heard that in a bunch of other things where the way that I show appreciation for my wife, um, I can see other women appreciate that. And I think for other guys, I've heard that they appreciate like seeing that model. So in some ways, good or bad, I, I, like, instead of surrounding myself to give me the positive, I have like an external self-inflicted, I, I need to be better because I'm consciously a role model for some people. Mm. Um, so I want to continue to be a great father yeah. and a great husband because I know some people look at me as a model, um, which I don't need to have that as a burden, but I take it as a positive, which I appreciate, and then try and continually use that lens to get better and better at what I do. And it's and it's energizing in a way to say like, hey, I'm, it's a positive feedback loop to say, hey, it, what I'm actually doing is obviously resonating and it's it's sending a positive message to other people. So I need to up my game. So you're kind of holding yeah. yourself accountable. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm constantly, every day I would say, I think about what am I doing what could I do to make my kids happy to make my wife happy? Like that's something I think about every day. Um, and I've, you know, shared it a couple of times before, like Valentine's day is not something we're big about only because I don't need to wait for once a year to do something really special for my wife. Um, 
one, guys, you make it easier on yourself instead of having like a shit, it's February 13th, I need to go do something. If throughout the year you've showered her and showed her uh, appreciation and love and adoration, it won't matter as much that there's the one day that you have all the pressure yeah. on yourself. Um, years, not every spouse is going to let you fly with the like, well, yeah, I did it all year, so I don't, I don't have to do it this year, right? Yeah. Um, or this day. Um, but I think it just makes it like it's less of a need to do the thing or the event that everybody else has said is the one day where you show your appreciation if you just do it all the time. Yeah. I, I wrote one of the first blog posts I wrote when I was starting the podcast was it was titled how to find the best pri or how to how to find the best price on flowers or something getting the best deal on flowers. And it was like basically tonight buy your wife flowers because if you just yeah. do that all the time, you don't have to buy this big thing once a year. <laughs> it's going to yeah. you're going to get a lot more ROI out of it if you're doing it just out of the blue. <laughs> I think also like if you just constantly exercise that muscle, it becomes just a habit. Mm. So I'm in the habit of doing nice things for my wife because I just na naturally do it and or I've done it enough where now I naturally do it. Um, so if I'm walking somewhere and I see a flower, she might say, I'm going to pick that flower. If I'm at the grocery store, like, oh, what's something I could get her? It's small, but I think she'd appreciate it if I got it. Um, it's the reason why if you do something enough times, it becomes a habit. So yeah, the, the more that you do that, I think your your life will be better. Your spouse will be happier, which often makes your life better. Which that's a good parallel with, you know, the the parallel with like the the work life saying, you know, every, uh, there, in the work life, all the experts that would say like it's process over, you know, like a big goal. It's like you habits over some big striving yeah. moonshot. It's like same applies at home. It's like you're not just saying, oh, I'm going to have a great marriage. I'm going to have great kids. It's like, no, you got to do these things every day. And, and those are going to add up to this, you know. So – well, anything else you want to leave us with, Darius, before I let you go? Hmm. Um, yeah, maybe just that, uh, you know, if you're concerned about whether or not you're doing a good job, I think you're doing a good job. Because just being aware that you might not or challenging yourself to think that you could do it better, then I think you're on the right path wherever you are on it. You're headed in the right direction. And nobody's got all the answers. We're all We're all trying to figure it out. There you go. That was a nice closing. Thanks, thanks so much for being on. Right. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find Darius mostly on Twitter at Bubs, B-U-B-S. And if you're not signed up for our email list, head over to twocentdad.com, the number twocentdad.com. You can sign up and you'll be notified whenever new episodes come out or any blog posts or any other resources. Um, if you found this valuable, I'd encourage you just to send it to another dad who would find it valuable. That's really what this podcast is about. It's about helping other dads in this journey of fatherhood. So send it to a dad that you think would find it valuable. And if you have any feedback or anything you want to share, you can email me at mike at twocentdad.com. Thanks for listening.